This is a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs during our summer meeting in San Diego, California, June 2017. Uh, I am Julie Harper. I, I like how she said Birmingham. We're Sam. That made me sound like I was from the UK. We are, I am from Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama. That's how we say it there. And so come visit us at, at some point. But it's my real pleasure to get to talk today about PFE. Who knows what PFE is? What's PFE? Persistent facial erythema. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, use the, the word or the, the, the letters PFE in your clinical setting? That's what I thought. How many of you use ETR in your clinical setting? Raise your hands in the context of rosacea. How many of you might say they have PPR? Raise your hand, papulopustular rosacea. So I think we're a lot more comfortable with the idea of ETR and PPR, but I want us today to challenge ourselves to really start thinking about PFE and recognizing how important it is and using those letters when we're taking care of our rosacea patients because we know erythema is such an important part of treating rosacea for those patients. Now, we had a practice consultant come to our practice this week, and this is just some extra free advice here. But he sat down with all of my employees, and me included, and he said, you know, it's great to be <clears throat> a great practice with good providers, and, you know, it's good if, if, if you're up on your CME. But what you really have to know and what really shows to your patients is if you understand why you do what you do. And so I want you to take a minute right now over your breakfast. This is kind of a big question. And think about why you do what you do. And one of my MAs, as I was walking out the door yesterday to fly to San Diego, wrote on a piece of paper what her why was, and she gave it to me. And I don't know why she was embarrassed, because it's beautiful, but she said, don't read it until you get on the airplane. She was kind of embarrassed. But here's her why. She said, because I want people to feel beautiful, competent, and most importantly, loved. So she wants to care for her patients. And I think if we went around the room, that would be the most common reason that all of us do this. That would be our why. But I mention that there because what's our why when we treat this patient? If this was your face, and, and frequently when I'm talking about acne, I'll say, how many pimples on your face does it take to mess up your day? I'd like to see a show of your fingers right now. How many pimples on your face? Right? <clears throat> one. It's one. Let's be honest about it. How much erythema on your face would it take to mess up your day a little bit? If your skin looked like any of these pictures up here, would you be treating it? Would you be doing something about that? And what if you saw a person like this in the airport and you saw this, this skin? Now, we're all dermatology professionals, we, we'd probably think rosacea, but you might also still, without meaning to, we would think they're hot, they're stressed, ooh, maybe they've been drinking, um, maybe they're overweight. I mean, there are things that, there is a stigma that goes with this, whether we want to admit it or not. Allergan is good at doing surveys, and they've surveyed both rosacea patients and then they surveyed prescribers of rosacea medications. And they ask each of those groups, what is the most important part of rosacea to treat? And in the patients, some of the patients had just redness, but many of them, about half of them, also had papules and pustules. 
And I can tell you that in both of those groups, the number one answer was erythema. Now, when they asked the prescribers the same question, the number one answer was the bumps. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect. And I think part of that disconnect comes from the fact that for a long time, we haven't had good treatments for erythema. Our treatments have been FDA approved to treat papules and pustules of rosacea. But again, with the product we're gonna talk about today, we have a product that does address the erythema. And so keep in mind how very important this is to our patients. It's important that we address it. Now we talked about ETR and PPR and subtypes. So there's ETR, erythematotelangiectatic, PPR, papulopustular rosacea, there's spimatous rosacea, and there's ocular rosacea. But how often do you see a patient that fits just in one of those little buckets? So most of the time, or at least some of the time, your PPR patient also has erythema and telangiectasia. Your phimatous patient also has papules and pustules. Your ocular patient probably has erythema or bumps. They don't have to. But the message there is, instead of trying to place somebody into a bucket and then addressing your treatment at, for example, PPR, we should be looking at the whole patient and looking for the different signs and symptoms that they have and addressing those. So for example, the PPR patient that also has erythema, those are two different treatments, right? And so you've got to address the PPR, the papules and the pustules, and you've got to address the erythema. And a lot of times you're not gonna do that, most of the time you're not gonna do that with, with one product. So what you're gonna see in the literature, and you're already starting to see it, this is called Roscoe. And this was an international panel of experts. I can tell you the American Acne and Rosacea Society has also done this, trying to get away from putting people into a subtype and trying to get us to focus again on just what we see and targeting our treatments to that. Now there were two things in the Roscoe study, and I think this is interesting. There were two things that they said out of all these findings in rosacea, there are two that are really distinct for rosacea, and in and of themselves, they would be enough to make the diagnosis. And one of them is PFE, I'm gonna keep using those letters because I'm gonna drill them into our heads, PFE, and the other was phimatous changes. So what else causes phimatous changes of the skin but rosacea? So it wasn't the papules and pustules. You can see those in other conditions. It was the phimatous changes and the PFE. So just know that that's kind of where we're heading in the understanding of rosacea, getting away from subtyping people and really focusing on what we see on their clinical exam. Now, when we talk about Rofade today, this is an alpha agonist. This is working on the blood vessel. Do not think about using this for every single red thing that you see. And this is a list really of, of places where we're not gonna use a product like Rofade. So you might see lots of red things out there, and I know how we all are in dermatology. We're a little bit, uh, we like to do things off label every now and then. But I want you to keep in mind how this is truly FDA approved. It's FDA approved for patients with redness associated with rosacea, not redness associated with things like chronic photo damage or contact dermatitis. <clears throat> So the pathophysiology of rosacea, we could have a whole 30-minute discussion about that. We've talked a lot about upregulation of innate immunity with LL37 and toll-like receptor 2, and we're talking now about uh, a neurovascular response. But one thing that we know happens, especially in PFE, is there's this chronic vasodilation, abnormal vasodilation. Now what happens if you have this chronic abnormal vasodilation? you can get persistent facial erythema. 
Now, if you were designing a product to try to help with this, I think what we would try to do is vasoconstrict that product. So we've got this vasodilation and chronic erythema, and how we're going to address it with Rofade is by vasoconstriction. There's more than one type of alpha agonist out there. There's more than two also, but I'll talk about two because we have two products now in this space. We have one that is an alpha-1A adrenergic receptor, and that's what we're talking about today. That's oxymetazolin. There's also an alpha-2 adrenergic agonist, and that is bromonidine. And the only reason I mention that here, we're not doing any kind of a comparative study. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But we do have different receptor selectivity with these. And so one take home here is kind of erase what you think you know already about alpha agonist for persistent facial erythema, because this is new and unique and different. And the alpha-1A receptors are located in different places than the alpha-2s. So, you know, the proof's gonna be in the pudding when we all start using this and see how our patients do with it, then we'll have some real answers. But we have reasons to expect, because we've got different receptor selectivity, we have reasons to expect that the effect in the skin might look a little bit different than we've seen with bromonidine. But the proof will be in the pudding, uh, and it'll be uh, exciting to see what happens as we all start really using this. So Rofade is a cream, and this is one of those, I know this slide is one that just perks you right up. You grab your pen. You wanna take a lot of notes on this slide. This is important safety information. I do think it's, it's worth knowing that if you pull out the package insert, there are no contraindications specifically listed to this. In the package insert, it says contraindications, and right underneath it, it says none. But there are some uh, warnings and precautions that really have to do with class labeling. And the three that are mentioned here are potential impacts on cardiovascular disease. Remember that centrally, this product would cause vasodilation. These products in this class could be used to lower blood pressure. But peripherally, they cause vasoconstriction. So they have different actions in different parts of the body. But class labeling is going to encompass potential risk with all of those, and so that's why that language is in there potentiation of vascular insufficiency, and then lastly, the risk of angle closure glaucoma. And the only thing I would add there, <clears throat> excuse me, is in this clinical trials with this drug, you were supposed to, and I would do this in your clinics, to avoid the lips and avoid the area inside the orbital rim. So while we're gonna use this on the whole face, we are going to avoid those, those areas. So this is new, it's unique, it's different. Separate it from another product that is out there. It's indicated for facial erythema associated with rosacea, and it's indicated for adults 18 years of age and older. In the clinical trials, by the way, this was used in the morning, and I think most of the time that's when our patients are gonna to wanna to use it. It lasts you know, 12 hours, probably even a little bit longer than that, although the last data point is at hour 12 when we look at the studies. But to me, that's just so intuitive, but I gave a sample of this to one of my staff members and it took me a couple of days to realize that she was using it at bedtime. And I, you know, I, I guess maybe she wanted to look really nice while she was asleep. But she and I talked about that later. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. But you're going to want to position this product so that you get reduction in erythema when that matters the most to you. And I guess if that's at bedtime, you can use it at bedtime. But do you know, teach your patients very specifically how to use this and when to use it. Again, this slide is in here a couple of times, but I do think it drives home that important message. So here with alpha-1A, the receptors are only located 
postsynaptically on the smooth muscle. The alpha-2s would be both presynaptic and postsynaptic, and, and that may be a really important differentiator. Only time is going to tell us on that. Okay, let's look at the data, so the phase three pivotal trials. So like every other pivotal trial, there are two identical randomized, double-blind, vehicle-controlled, parallel group studies, and we're comparing Rofade to its vehicle, and we're looking at safety, and we're looking at efficacy. 885 subjects were enrolled. They were 18 years of older or, or older. Everyone in the study had to have moderate or severe erythema. Okay? They didn't have mild. You saw pictures of examples of people who were in the study. They could have up to three bumps, but no more than that. If they had more than three bumps, they were excluded because we were really focusing on persistent facial erythema here. So 885 people divided into two groups. Now the study design is very interesting here. There's two parts to this. So the first part is what you see on the screen right now. And it's about a, a four week part of the study. Individuals came in on day one, 15 and 29. They were still using it every morning throughout that. But they were actually measured or evaluated on days one, 15 and 29. And do you know that on those days, they had to come into the office and stay there for about 13 hours, okay? That's a long time. When I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's awful. And then the more I thought about it, I was with Linda Steingold and Hillary Baldwin recently, and we're like, I don't know. That sounds pretty good. You mean I would be like alone for 13 hours? <laughs> and in, during the study, they had food brought to them. We were like, hmm, we might want to do that study. That sounds pretty good. They could watch movies, but it was interesting. They had to control the movies, they had to control what kind of food, they controlled the temperature, because we were trying to take out of the equation common triggers, and you can't get rid of all of them. Hillary was laughing about, you know, at hour nine, that's about when the person would be getting a call from their kid who just got home from school saying, what's for dinner? So she said, you can't get rid of all the triggers, even in a setting like that, unless you take away the cell phone too, which that sounds pretty good to me also. So they were in the room for 13 hours, and they had an assessment done at baseline before they put the product on, and then assessments were done at hours three, hour six, hour nine, and hour 12. And we wanna see how much improvement we see at each of those time points. Now, what I just said is key. What we wanna see is how much improvement. Well, guess what? The end point of the study is way more than how much improvement. It's how many people improved by two grades and the clinician had to say by two grades, and the subject had to say by two grades, and they had to agree. So it's not how many people improved, it's how many people improved a good bit, and both, both assessors agreed on that. There was also a second part of this study. So this, the study drug is stopped on day 29. Now what happens in the next few weeks there? Well, they did come in, they were evaluated again, they were assessed, and I'll show you on the next couple slides how they did that. But they were also asked that if at any point in the first two weeks after you stop that drug, at any point, if you feel like your redness worsens, you were to call in. And I can tell you that the number of people who called in was zero, okay? 885 randomized in the study, two-week follow-up period, and nobody called in. And 95% of people completed the study, so it's not like a lot of people dropped out, and that's... A lot of people stayed in and they still had nobody call in during that time point. Okay, so let's take these two slides to look to see where we started and, and kind of to give us an idea of how these assessments were done. So we said they all had to start out as threes and fours. 
Now, the subject could have called themselves a three and the clinician a four. That was fine. They didn't have to agree on the number, but both people, nobody could call them a one or a two. They had to have pretty significant erythema. And then I also used the language improved earlier. That's not, it wasn't exactly like that. So when the person came in, let's say it's day 15 or day 29, and they are sitting at hour six, and they have to make an assessment of what their erythema looks like, they do not get to go back and look at their baseline photo. Okay? There's no comparison. This is a static assessment. At that time point, what does this erythema look like? The clinicians had these photos, and they would say, right now, I think you look like you're about a two. And the subject would have a mirror. They would look at themselves, and then they would look at these pictures, and they would rate themselves two. And they did that at all of those time points. And again, this is what I already mentioned earlier. There could have been a lot of people that the clinicians thought had a two-grade improvement. And there could have been a good number of, of subjects who had a two-grade improvement. But the only ones that count for the end point, the predefined end point of the study, is that little overlap in the middle. Okay, so this was, I think the message here is, like we hear with so many trials now, the bar for success in the study was likely higher than it would be for success in a clinical practice. But for the study, it's this part in the middle of it that is what counts as an end point. The bottom, go to the very bottom of this. I already mentioned this number. 95% of people completed the study. If you look at the next two up, most of the patients in the study were moderate, but there were some severes. 90% Caucasian, 70% women, and the mean age was about 50. Okay, look up for a minute. This is important. And then you can eat some more breakfast. Baseline, pre-dose day one, CEA, clinician's erythema assessment of three, SSA, subject's self-assessment of three, and hour three, hour six, hour nine, and 12. And I think it'll loop back through here, so let's look if it will. Three, all right, and I'll show you all of those kind of lined up there. So what do you think of that? Do you see improvement? Do you see improvement at every time point? That's for you to judge. I'm not trying to suggest anything here. I can tell you if you look at the numbers, by the way, there was improvement noted across the board. But meeting the end point of the study was achieved in two of these. And while there, were in, there was improvement in other two time points, it didn't meet the end point of the study. Again, just driving home the fact that improvement and success based on a predefined outcome, those are different things. And I'll tell you, I'm not supposed to tell this, Allergan people are sitting in the back, I can't even help myself. The two time points where she didn't meet the criteria are, you have to guess first, six and 12. Is that right? Six and 12. So I think kind of interesting. Okay, so how many people did achieve this super high bar of a composite two grade improvement? Uh, you see here trial one and trial two, the number you wanna look at is the purple, that's row fate. And the percentage there is how many people achieved this composite two grade improvement. And I will admit to you, at first, I almost said at first, uh, well, we'll say at first glance here, the number seems a little bit low. But again, this is not the number of people who improved, it's the number of people who agreed on both that there was a two grade improvement. The thing that probably stands out to me most is that that number stays pretty much the same 
between hour three and hour 12. So it doesn't appear, and this is not one person, so I can't go too far down this road, but it doesn't appear that this just all of a sudden drops off at hour 12. There were still a very reasonable, a high number, 15%, 12% at hour three, 15% at hour 12 that had a composite two grade improvement. And then this just pulls those two studies together, but you can see that number stays pretty much the same from hour three, six, nine, and 12. And another photo here. Here I think it was hour six. Again, I'm not supposed to be telling you this. I'm kind of being a rebel up here. Hour six was when they didn't meet the two grade composite, but I think you can still see that there is improvement here. I don't remember on this one, so I'm done being a rebel here. But baseline and then three, six, nine, and 12. Actually, I think three and six were the ones that didn't quite make it and nine and 12 did. And another individual here. All right, we're all very interested in, with a product like this because of a recent history. What about adverse events? What about adverse events? Well, they were low. Application site dermatitis was the most common, and it happened in nine people out of 489, 2%. Uh, worsening of inflammatory lesions of rosacea, 1%. Application site pruritus, 1%. Application site erythema, 1%. And application site pain, 1%. So I'm gonna go ahead and bring up the elephant in the room. How do you look for that worsening of erythema that we may have seen with some other products that happens at the end of the day? You know, the FDA had them really look in that two week after treatment period for worsening of erythema. But I think many of us would say in our clinical practices, we've seen some people that as the product wears off, there can be some worsening of erythema. I'm not saying that's happened yet with this drug. We've all gotta use it to see what's gonna happen with this. But in this study, the investigators knew that it happened with another product, and they were, because I've asked them, they were kind of probing for this a little bit. So application site erythema, I think would have captured at least some of that. Now they're not coming in every single day, and there is not a time point at hour 13. So the best we could do is say, at any point, where did you have worsening of erythema? At any point, and 1% of people said that they did. So you know, we don't have a perfect measure of that. The proof will be in the pudding as we all start to use this. Okay, the long-term studies. So long-term studies are really not about efficacy. We will look at that a little bit, but they're more about safety. If you continue to use a product like this over the long haul, do we expect to see more adverse uh, events as we go through it? So a 52-week study, really kind of a 54-week study, comparing again Rofade, uh, not comparing Rofade to vehicle, looking just at Rofade and uh, in people with moderate to severe erythema again. In this case, they could have any number of papules. There was not a limitation there. And they were also allowed to use concomitant medications. So out of the 440 subjects, 38 of them ended up using another medication. 20 of them used a systemic antibiotic, most of them doxy, some minnow. And 18 of them did use either metronidazole or azelaic acid topically. But the vast majority of them did not. So there were a few differences if you look at this study versus the pivotal. Uh, of course, a much longer study, the, the measurements were done at baseline at weeks 4, 12, 26, and 39, at week 52. And then again, they had the two-week follow-up period where you could call in at any point if you were having worsening of erythema. And again, the number of people that called in was zero. 83% of people 
completed this study. That's what you see at the bottom here, 83% completed the study. And the adverse events in the study looked a lot like those in the pivotal trials. There were low numbers overall, things like worsening of inflammatory lesions of rosacea in 3%. Uh, if you look at the bottom, application site erythema in 2% of individuals in the study. We're always interested, too, in breaking this out by quarters. So do we see most of the AEs in the first quarter, or do they start to escalate as you go through the study? In this case, they actually start to lessen as you go through the study, which is what you want to see. No new safety flags or signals as somebody stays on this product for a longer period of time. So what we've talked about here is PFE. Remember that, PFE. Start using that language in your clinic. That erythema is a big deal to our patients. It has to be a big deal to us. But we have a new product, FDA approved for once daily, probably once in the morning treatment for this PFE in adults with rosacea. All of the packaging, by the way, does come with child-resistant caps. And what's included in this is about a 70-day supply of the product if somebody uses this every single day. You are supposed to use a uh, pea size amount of this product, one pea size, to do the entire affected area. So one pea, you spread it around on the chin and the forehead and the cheeks and the nose, one pea. You don't have to use one pea per spot. It's one pea total. Um, and then also do, look at the very bottom of this. Continue to be good educators uh, for your patients. Teach them what their triggers might be. Talk to them about that and teach them how to potentially avoid those. So once a day, Every day, it'll be interesting to see how our patients use that. In the same survey deck that Allergan did, they asked people, if you have a product that you're supposed to use every single day, how many days a week do you use it? And what do you think the answer was? Let me hear you. <laughs> you would think in a survey they might just say seven. The answer was three. Okay, so if we prescribe it seven days a week, the average number of times a person might use it would be about three. But we're trying here for once a day, every day. This product is new, it's unique. That's one of the take home messages that I want you to remember. So here's my take home messages. PFE is important. Use that language. Recognize how important it is to treat in our patients. This is new and different. This is a unique product. Number three, it reduces erythema from hour three to hour 12 without a sharp drop off in the end, so pretty uh, well controlled over the time period with so far what we see as excellent safety and excellent tolerability. And that's it. So I hope also that you will think as you go through the whole day about what your why is for taking care of patients. I think we all have days where we go into the clinic and it's a harder day than other days. It's a little bit of a drudgery every now and then. You know the day that I have to do like, do you guys do tons of skin checks? It can kind of get you down after a while. But if you remember why you're doing this, why we are there, I think it can make those days a lot better. Thank you. Any questions? I don't know if I'm supposed to take questions or not. Okay, is this my question list? Okay. Okay, so any evidence of tachyphylaxis seen with Rofade as seen with the nasal formulation of oxymetazolin? Well, not so far in the study. But I don't know that we can say that we were, you know, all of the time points we're comparing, like day 29 would compare to pre-dose on day one. Um, I wonder if you're also asking, again, that tough question about rebound that we see with something like topical afrin. And, and I really, I keep saying the language in the clinical studies that doesn't seem to show up. 
we're going to have to use it and get honest feedback to see what happens with it. But we have reason to think right now that this is different. This is also different from, can I say the word afrin, for a couple of reasons. Number one, afrin is in a solution. It contains uh, a product in it called benzalkonium chloride that may also be an irritant to the mucosa. Um, so there, there are some other differences with the products. So I, I, that's a little hard to answer until we get more information there. Do you ever combine Rofade with another topical in the AM? Well, because right now I am doing a promotional deck, I can't talk about uh, combination use. I will tell you that there was you know, 38 people in the studies that overlapped them, but that doesn't give us quite enough data to recommend that now. Um, again, what we do with this in our practice is a little different, perhaps, from the way that, that we will speak about that today. I've had significant erythema and flushing with Merveso. How does Rofade compare? We have no comparison studies yet. I don't want to go too far down that road. Um, but I would say because of the different receptor selectivity, I would think it's worth trying it. I don't think you should expect to have the exact reaction from something that has a different receptor selectivity. And if you've had rebound with one, I think you should try the other. It would be important feedback for everybody to have. The R word keeps coming up, doesn't it? Rebound flares, any rebound erythema? Uh, and I hear you, because I think that's what everybody's question is. Let's see what else here. What do you recommend for patients who have very sensitive skin and cannot tolerate most rosacea meds? Um, you know, I don't, I don't have that, that problem a lot. I know that there are, Jim Del Rosso has talked a lot about priming the skin. So I think in your most sensitive skin patients, you could take a couple of weeks at first to, and this is not allergy speaking right now, this is me, you could take a couple of weeks to do good just skincare before you bring in any of your pharmaceuticals to kind of calm things down. But once you do that, I, I've got very few people who can't tolerate any of their rosacea medications. I think you can get past that, which is good skincare up front. Okay, let's see, how quickly, let's see, how quickly will patients see results um, day one? And the first time point we can show you here is hour three, but you can see a good result at hour three, so it's not like all of a sudden at hour three it turned on. I think you could expect that you would see some improvement before then, but based on this data, your, our first time point was hour three. Uh, is this different from Afrin only in vehicle? Uh, no, the, you know, I think the similarity probably ends at that molecule, oxymetazolin. So yes, this is a different vehicle, and that's crucial if you look at the percentage of what this is. 99% of this product is vehicle, so that is not, uh, not unimportant. And it's FDA approved to treat PFE. Uh, any thoughts on applying prior to exercise to pre prevent rosacea flare? Again, this is not, and this is, I'm not trying to just walk the line here. This is FDA approved for persistent facial erythema. It's not FDA approved for flushing. And I do think, again, there you, should, you would do well to teach your patients that there may be a difference there um, and, and not to expect that it's going to be able to do all of that. Coverage and coupons, I'm going to leave that to Allergan. Let's see here. Gosh, I tell patients who ask how long after application they will see the effects of Rofade. Um, certainly by hour three, and it's come up at some of our other meetings. Does this mean my patient needs to get up at 4 a.m. to put it on? No, I think there's a, a, gonna be a gradual onset of action, and again, the only time point I can speak to in the deck is that hour three. Medicare, I'm gonna just pass that all right on off to Allergan. We, I hear you, I hear you. I read an article about using Botox with persistent facial erythema. 
Um, because this is an Allergan meeting, I'd probably better leave Botox alone. But I will say you might have heard me talk about that. Um, but you can ask me about that later if you'd like. And I think that's it. Thank you for your attention. This has been a production of Dermcast TV, brought to you by the Society of Dermatology PAs, recorded live during our summer 2017 meeting in San Diego, California.